sermon today, we're going to, again, I know you guys are so heartbroken. We're taking a break from the 10 plagues until next week, okay? Uh, But uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 today. The the title of the sermon is Whole People for a Broken World. Whole People for a Broken World. Again, today is Stand Sunday, and, and, and really the emphasis is how many... It, it started off in this small church in North Texas, and this pastor who was burdened for, uh, for orphans essentially just asked the question, who will stand in the gap? Who will stand with me for orphan care? Who will stand with me in, in the gap to take care of, uh, of those that are in foster care, those that have been... Uh, those that are uh, the least of these in, in moments that are often, those that are often overlooked, those who have been through uh, abusive situations, how many will stand in the gap for that? And, and us as believers are called to do that. And so we're going to be talking about that today. Matthew chapter 5, uh, we're going to be in verse 13. If you would stand to your feet, the reading of God's word. We ready? We got it? Good to go? All right. Here we go. Matthew chapter 5, verse, starting verse 13, the word of the Lord says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. Thank you that you're so good to us. Thank you, Lord, that you are moving in our midst, that you have called us and challenged us, Father, to stand up for those that don't have a voice, to care for those that need cared for. Lord, be with us today. I pray, Father, that it would not be my word spoken, but yours spoken through me. That those who would have an ear, let them hear the declaration of your word today. Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. In this passage, we see that Jesus is giving what we call the Sermon on the Mount, or the, the, uh, some theologians and smarter people would call it the Olivet Discourse. And this is a moment where... Uh, where Jesus is, is giving this grand sermon. And, and in Matthew chapter 5, this is essentially uh, because Matthew is writing predominantly to a Jewish audience, uh, is Matthew is trying to explain and express that Jesus is greater than Moses. And so just as Moses was on Mount Sinai, he came down with the Ten uh, Commandments. This is Jesus's quote-unquote Mount Sinai moment. This is where, where Matthew is writing and he's showing that Jesus is greater than Moses, that Jesus is now re-giving the law. And so we see later on through, through the Sermon on the Mount, we see things like, like murder and, and different things that are part of the Ten Commandments, but Jesus is emphasizing and, and raising that standard so that we understand that we need Him. And in that, at the very beginning of his sermon, he, he sits down and, and he begins and he delivers the, what we call the Beatitudes. 
He talks about how we're blessed, what kind of people are blessed in their life. Blessed are those who, who are poor in spirit, right? For they'll be comforted, or mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they'll be satisfied, right? And then we get to this passage, right after the Beatitudes, right after Jesus tells us the kinds of people that are blessed, we get to this place, and it's important for us to see that and to understand who Jesus is talking about. Because we can sit there and say the Sermon on the Mount is one of those where, because there was such a great crowd there, Jesus was speaking to the entire crowd. And the reality is, is that's not necessarily what was going on. It was more along the lines of Jesus speaking and teaching his disciples, and the crowd was listening all around. It's like the, the, Jesus was, again, talking to the disciples and, the, and everybody else was just simply a spectator in that teaching. We know this because the very beginning of Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And so this is essentially what I think is the first seminary class for the disciples that he sits down with them and they sit down and he begins to teach them and he he really teaches them all about the law all about their theology and he begins to to make their understanding of of who god is and how we should live out that to specifically the disciples I say this because even though again there is a crowd that he's Jesus is mainly addressing the disciples because it's important and imperative that we know who Jesus is speaking to. Because Jesus calls these people the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And so if, if they're just random unbelievers on the street that he's talking to, then it has no imperative to those that actually follow Jesus. However, Jesus is speaking directly to the disciples. What that means is, is that the words for Jesus for his disciples then are also words for his disciples now. And so if you declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a disciple. You're part of the family of God. And if you're in that family, then that means that this passage is for you. It, it's, it's specifically for you. And so Jesus tells the disciples, and he, he describes them as two things. And both of these things are meant to be distinctive and to stand out. These aren't things that are meant to fly under the radar. These aren't things to be like, oh yeah, that guy is that way. But it's to very specifically make a distinction between us and the world. The first thing that Jesus describes his disciples as is salt. Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. See, salt has a number of uses. It purifies, it preserves, it enhances flavor. Jesus is, is telling the disciples that, hey, look, that salt is the number one thing that, that they used to preserve food. It, it was something that purified. It got rid of disease and, and got rid of bacteria that was on food. And so salt was very important. And Jesus is saying, you're, you're very important because 
when you're salty and not the kind of the world salty, right? Just means you're angry or you got something wrong with somebody. But he's saying when you're salty, there's a benefit to everyone around you. See, the, the best thing in, uh, in the food world is a good seasoned meal. And the worst part about the food world is when you eat a meal that isn't seasoned. And I, 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 Carly and I, we love watching MasterChef, and, and there's one of these guys that's the, uh, one of the judges. His name's Joe, and, and he, uh, he's, a, he's a good Italian guy. And, and I remember, and we quote this all the time, but he says, the secret to getting to the top three of MasterChef just so you know, okay? Here's the secret. If you ever are on there, you can quote me quoting him, okay? He says, the secret to the top three of Master Chef is aggressively seasoning. If people would just season their food, they'd make it to the top three. How interesting is it that, that for us, it's, it's, under, it's understood that for us, if we are the salt of the earth, if we are the seasoning that happens, then we should make everything better, right? That our communities should be better. Why? Because we're salt. We provide that seasoning. It purifies. It enhances flavor. That life should get better when people are around us, not worse. When you walk into the room, is everybody like, oh, man. And you know those people because they try to make themselves busy? Because they don't want to talk to you? And if you're like, I don't know who that is, that it might be you, okay? It's okay. We're here for you. We can be salty. It'll be great. The good kind of salty, all right? It's, it's important that we understand that, that, that we should be enhancing everything. It shouldn't be that, that people are, are under this, like, weight when you're in the room. It should be like, man, you're just, it's just great to be around you. It's just really nice to, to be with you. It's, it's just, it's just, I always feel so encouraged. I always feel like, like life is so much better after I, I, we hang out. That's being the salt of the earth. Saltiness is also used in rabbinic teaching to refer to wisdom. Colossians 4, 6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What, what Paul is saying here to the church in Colossae is, is that you should season it with salt, meaning that your conversation should be seasoned with wisdom. And so it also makes sense because the phrase lose its saltiness. So whenever it says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, it's actually better translated in the original language as to become foolish. And so what's happening is, is, is that there's this wisdom that we have that the world doesn't have. And, and if we lose that wisdom, if we become foolish, then we become worthless. And so by being salty, we bring wisdom and purity to the things around us. Everything is better when we are salty. Second thing that Jesus talks about is light. He describes his disciples as light. Matthew 5, the, the remainder of that passage, 14 through 16, says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, 
They put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Light is used throughout all of Scripture. Most of the time, it's used by the Apostle John, because John likes to equate light with life. We see this in, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. John chapter 8, verses, verse 12 says, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. John 1, 4 through 5 says, In him was life. And that light, that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John, the apostle, he's equating this light and life. That, and, and it's this understanding throughout Scripture is that if you walk in light, you are walking in life. That light brings life. That they're, they're used interchangeably. Ephesians 5.8 says, For you were once darkness but now you are light in the lord live as children of light what's being talked about is you were once dead you weren't you weren't in a good spot and now you are you are in the light you you've experienced the light that jesus the life that jesus can provide because jesus says that he's come to bring life and life abundantly jesus is telling the disciples that they represent truth salvation life to the world in order for something in order for us to recognize something there must be light shown upon it right if everything is pitch black and and i ask you what am i holding in my hand you wouldn't be able to tell but if there was light then you'd be able to understand what's going on in the same way us as being the light of the world we shine a light on jesus on the truth of things that points to salvation. I think it's also important that Jesus is making this imperative in, in verse 15. He says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. The point of light is for light to be seen. He talks about you, you don't put it under a bowl. You don't, you know, you don't hide it under a bushel. No, you're going to let it shine. It's important light is meant to be seen and so if we are the light of the world we're meant to reflect Jesus to be seen as a follower of the Lord just as we don't turn on a light just to turn it off we don't learn the truth just to hide the truth how many of you just turn on a light just to make sure it turns on and then turn it back off Only if you're checking to see if the bulb is on, right? If, if you need to change the bulb, right? But it's meant to be seen. And so if it's constantly hidden, and people constantly miss the truth of Scripture, they constantly miss the life in Christ that Christ allows. And so finally, we see the command of Jesus. Jesus likens us to salt us to light and then he makes this command in verse 16 let your light 
shine. What he's saying is show that you're a follower of Jesus. Show that you, you live your life in Christ. Show that you know the truth. Show that, that you make things better because Jesus makes things better. This is what we are to do as believers. Why do we do this? I love what it says at the end of verse 16. So that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Why do we do this? Why do we let our light shine? Why do we, why do we keep our saltiness? Why, why do we do these things? Why? Because others will see the Lord and glorify the Lord. We cannot glorify God if we cannot see Him moving. It's important. So the question that I have for us today is, is your light shining? In what you do and how you act, do people see Jesus? Do people see Jesus in how you talk? Are you negative? Are you hurtful? Are you harsh? Or do they see Jesus in how you talk because the words that come out of your mouth are encouraging? Uplift people. They, they call them into greatness. They, they're there for the people. People see Jesus in what you do and how you treat others. That one neighbor that you really don't like. Do they see Jesus through you and how you treat them? At one time that, that you may be sitting there in, in, in line waiting for your groceries to be rung up and it's just taking forever in how you treat the cashier, do people see Jesus in that? When you have a disagreement with a teacher, and all the and everybody else is watching, the parents are watching you have this conversation with a teacher. Do you reflect Jesus in that conversation? And how you parent. Do you reflect Jesus in how you parent? If you don't know how to, a good, good starting place is the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about that in 6. That we should not work to anger our children, but we should spur them on to good works. And how you parent, does that reflect Jesus how you treat your spouse, does that reflect Jesus? If the, the way that you talk to each other, the way that you talk about each other. You know, it's, it's one thing to, to love your spouse, but it's a, a completely different thing to, to talk them up in front of people and not talk them down. So many times, that, that, and we have to protect this, uh, this is most likely a guy thing, so I'm just going to pick on the guys here for a minute. But guys like, oh man, the ball and chain. (laughs) 
doesn't, that doesn't reflect Jesus. Now, J- Jesus died for the church. He didn't complain about it. Can I tell you, he has every reason to complain about his church. Because it's full of broken, messed up people that just keep getting it wrong. And yet, I die for it. And in the same way, gentlemen, Ephesians chapter 5, we are to be like Christ. And so your words show that you're dying for your wife. That's a reflection of Jesus. People see Jesus in you and in, in just even how you live your life. How you budget. If somebody were to open up the, the, the budget of, of your life and, and would sit there and say, how do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? All of these things. Do they, would they sit there and say, yeah, this, this person loves Jesus. But they're more, more concerned about, about building the kingdom than keeping up with the Joneses. What I mean by that is that Scripture is very clear that what we have will wither away. All of our treasures, every single thing that we have, how great of a car that you have, one day it'll be busted up and somebody will be paying $500 for that hoopty that you used to drive that you spent $50,000 on. the way it is how we live our lives how we spend our money how we talk to people all these things should be reflective of jesus james 122 says this do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says you know the struggle of a believer is knowing all of these things about god and knowing all of these things about how to live for god and never doing it You know that you should pray, and you never do. You know that you should, you should share the gospel with these individuals, and you never do. You know that you should serve your neighbors. You should serve those around you, and you never do. Why? Because we're so deceiving ourselves that we think knowledge of this equals heart change. But it's in knowing and doing that that heart change happens. It's important. The thing is, is that the only way to push back darkness is to shine light. The only way to make life better is to add some salt. And that's what we're called to do. And in our time today, in, in, our, in our time, in our communities, even just in our county alone, it's, it's darkness and brokenness everywhere. Opioid use is 24% higher than the national average in our county. This year alone, there have been 313 fatal drug overdoses and over 6,000 emergency room visits that were drug-related in our county. Just last month, 59 individuals were charged with drug trafficking in Cleveland. The darkness is here. The brokenness is here. Did you know that in Ohio, suicide is the second leading cause of death for those who are under the age of 21? 
Homicides have increased by 30% over last year in Cuyahoga County. Cleveland is two and a half times, the, the crime rate in Cleveland is two and a half times higher than the Ohio average. This is darkness. But here's the good news. We are light. The most heartbreaking thing in all of this as you look at these statistics is that it affects those, the the individuals that it affects the most are children. They have no part to play in these things. Our county alone, Cuyahoga County, is one of the leading counties that has so many children in the foster care system. It could range anywhere from 1,800 to 2,500 children taken out of their homes. 50% of children in the foster system are there because one or both parents abuse drugs or in jail. They're part of a broken home. 80% of children in the foster care system struggle with mental health issues. Because the way that God created things is, is to be a part of a family that loves you, is to be a part of a family that will raise you up, is to be a part of a family that points you to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus makes everything better. And the brokenness of the world has caused so much darkness. James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. By the way, just so you're aware, uh, when we talk about this religion, this word religion, because we talk about like, oh, Christianity is not religion, it's a relationship, right? And so sometimes we'd be like, oh, religion's a bad word. This word religion specifically is actually like worship. And it's, it's talking about like this religious devotion and religious worship. So worship that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Brothers and sisters, Cuyahoga County is full of orphans who are in distress. Jesus' expectation is for us to be the light of the world. See, the thing is that in a broken world, only the church is truly whole. In a world of confusion, only Jesus can give true worth and purpose. In a dark world, only the church carries the light of the truth. This is what I'm talking about. That each and every one of us in how we live our lives, it's not just simply us being there and, and, and putting, a, uh, putting some type of, of sign in our yard saying that we love Jesus or, or we vote the Bible or whatever that looks like. But it's actually living life that, that shines light on Christ, that shines light into dark places. It's about us sitting there and saying, you know what, we're going to stand in the gap for those that have no one fighting for them, and we're going to fight our hardest for these individuals. For those that are broken, you have to understand we are the remedy to that. For those that are in darkness, how can people know that they're in darkness unless they see light? And that's our job. 
The way that we do this, the, one of the ways, many ways that Emmanuel does this, but one of the main ways that we do this is we push back the darkness by caring for orphans. We continue to pray for those in foster care as well as those who are foster parents. We continue to look for ways to care for caseworkers. We're still going to prepare a Christmas meal. If you were here last year, we, we made a Christmas meal on Christmas morning. Um, we just gave, we just asked, hey, we're going to give an hour of our time, and we're just going to make a bunch of meals, and then we're going to take it down to the main uh, campus of the Child and Family Services because there are people that work on Christmas. And when we did that last year, there were two children that were spending their Christmas morning in an office because they were taken out of their home. So we're still going to do that. As Carly said, we'll be gathering $25 Amazon gift cards for teens in the foster system for Christmas. Those that are overlooked. Maybe it's something, eventually, you know, we want to partner with, uh, with places that work with foster uh, kids that are in the foster system places like ohio guidestone do you know that we had some some of the kids from ohio guidestone were were at the harvest party we got to love on them we got to provide a place where they they were loved and celebrated we're going to continue to do things like that you know the the craziest thing is is on on thursday i was walking over and this this woman just drives in to our driveway and i'm like oh man i don't know who this person is like uh their car was a little bit beat up and so i was like maybe they're gonna ask for something like i don't know what's going on uh kind of thing and so just preparing myself to have this conversation and and you know what she does she was there to meet with somebody from the church why because she works for an organization that trains foster parents And we, had the con- we got to have the conversation that we might be a site for, for visits for foster children and their parents to be able to have a visitation. We'll be able to do these things. And isn't it like God that four days later we're preaching about foster care and all of a sudden somebody just drives up, doesn't know us, doesn't know anything about what we do for foster care. I even asked her about Stan Sunday. She's like, I have no idea what Stan Sunday is. And so we're like, great, let's talk about it. What an incredible opportunity we have. What an incredible opportunity we have. Maybe some of you, God is calling you to become a foster parent or to adopt. And if that's something that's on your heart, we'd love to have that conversation. We'd love to help. So it's important for us to be the light of the world. We live in a dark place. This past Tuesday, issue one passed. If you don't know what issue one was all about, it was essentially legalizing abortion up to nine months. That means all throughout pregnancy in Ohio. And it's in our constitution now. And the move of the Christian could be, well, Sodom and Gomorrah, Ohio's going to hell in a handbasket. 
Man, hell's rejoicing. I, I just can't believe it. Or, or, there's darkness. It's time to get to work. We can sit there and shake our heads and feel bad about what happened. Or, we can say, you know what? Jesus says that let your light shine, and so we're going to do that. The system, hear, hear me. I'm not saying that the foster care system is a perfect system. It's broken. Where there are humans, there's brokenness. And people are trying to do the best they can by their own power to fix brokenness. And the reality is, no power except for the power of the Lord is going to fix brokenness. And so the system may be broken, but we're the solution. So are you letting your light shine? We could play some worship music if we could. I just want us for a moment to imagine a place Imagine a place. Imagine Cleveland. Imagine a place where abortion was freely available yet never taken. Brokenness is there. Darkness is there. But because the church decides we're going to shine our light, we're going we're to go into these places, we're going we're gonna to be the, the remedy to this brokenness, we're going to point them to the one that can make them whole. And all of these things, is, there, there aren't abortions in this area. Why? Because Jesus is declared. Because families are surrounded by a church that loves them, that, that wants the best for them, that points them to Jesus. Regardless of the situation that, that those people find themselves in, the church provides the solution. The church provides the light. The church provides wholeness. And so many times we, we can sit there and we can... You know, like I said earlier, we can sit there and say, you know what, the church is in this building, I'm the church, and yet at the same time, we expect the building to do the work. So we cop our, we, we just, it's a cop out, is what it is. It's just an excuse for us. Well, the church needs to do something, but aren't you the church? Yeah, but I'd be uncomfortable. But it'd be really difficult for me. I'm simply saying is that we would be a community of believers who love Jesus so much and have experienced the move of God so much that we want other people to experience that and we're willing to be the light. In a broken system, in a broken world, we are a whole people. And so all we're going to do today, the challenge I leave you with is simply this, what can you do? Maybe it's, well, 
I can get an Amazon gift card, great. Maybe it's I can't afford an Amazon gift card, but I can write, great. Maybe it's I can't write or afford an Amazon gift card, great. Can you pray? Everybody can do that. Pray. There's a spiritual battle going on. There's there's demonic forces working behind all of this brokenness, all of the darkness that we see in the world. And so if we don't attack this darkness, not just in the physical, but we also have to attack it in the supernatural as well. We need to pray. Or maybe the Lord again, maybe the Lord is just really on your heart about fostering or adopting. And and we want to encourage you, go for it. Stand Sunday is just about us saying, I don't know how much I can do, but I want to do something. I can't do much, but I can do something. And if enough people say I can do something, that's a lot of drops of water in the bucket. It's a lot of little lights shining in dark places. So I just want to challenge you. You can do something. What is that? What we're going to do is we're going to pray. I'm going to have Carly come and pray us out. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to stand if you want to stand. The no, no, no. Scripture is very clear. This is a mandate of God. It is not an option. I just want to be clear. It's, it's so many times we can look at Scripture and we can be like, oh, this is, Scripture is just, it's just really more like guidelines than actual things that we have to do. It's just more like a suggestion of us standing in the gap for those that need wholeness. No, no, Scripture says, no, do it. (laughs) That's it. That's the directive. If you want to truly worship God with all that you are, do it. If you truly want to follow the Lord and be a true disciple of Him, do it. This is a directive. And so it's important for us. And so what I'm going to ask is all of us stand because we all have a part to play in this. And I don't care if it's just, hey, I'm going to pray once a week for this stuff. We're just going to stand real quick for, if you're able to. And we're just going to pray. I'm going to pray that the Lord would, would give us opportunities. We're going to pray that we would have courage and wisdom. We're going to pray that we would have the courage to let our light shine. We're going to pray for those in in foster care, those who are are working alongside, who are foster parents, who are adoptive parents. We're We're going to do all of that. We're going to pray for all of them. Because in a broken world, we are the whole people that have the solution. And it's up to us to say, we can't do everything, but we'll do something. And by God's power, that something becomes a lot.
because he multiplies it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, first we pray for those who have power to change legislation. Father, we pray that they would be God-fearing men and women, that they would be able to speak into legislation that changes the foster care system, Father, that makes it better. Lord, we pray that these would be men and women who come to know you in a powerful way and can speak Jesus into legislation and into the into this broken system father we pray for social workers lord and everybody who works in this social sector father we pray that they would have the power of your holy spirit we pray that when they meet with people that they would see those people as children of god we pray that they would all come to the saving power of jesus christ we pray that you would be calling and raising up more social workers father that know you and trust you and can bring light into dark places. We pray that you would be raising up more foster parents, Father, who know you and love you and can put that light into dark places. Father, we pray for even the areas that we don't know about. Father, that you would be stepping into those areas, that you would be giving them your Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice who has a heart for this father who who now their heart is breaking for what's going on in their backyard i pray father that you would speak to their hearts specifically what you would call them to do what you would have for them to do to care for widows and for orphans father I pray them that you would specifically show them and guide their steps to exactly the place that you're calling them to serve and to be a part of this, Father. I pray that it it wouldn't be forced, Lord, but that this would just flow out of us as just a part of our spiritual worship, Father. That this would just be in, so ingrained in our lives just to care for orphans, Father. And above all, Father, we just pray for favor, that wherever we um, try to speak into, Father, that you would just be giving us favor, that you'd be giving us favor to continue to care for social workers, to continue to care for those that are in the foster care system, for orphans in general. Father, just give us favor where you would have this church to minister. Would you just continue to guide us by your Holy Spirit? And we pray all of this, that you would receive the glory for light going into dark places. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.